The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, open your Bible, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. We don't have a lot of time, and we got a lot to get done. Uh, dust off your thinking caps, everybody. We're we in a three-part series entitled Limitless. Can somebody say Limitless. Limitless. We came out of a series called Set Your Hope, and we finished that sermon series with a sermon entitled Adjust Your Expectation, where we considered the reality that oftentimes we create unreasonable and uncommunicated expectations of other people, and we're constantly let down, disappointed, disillusioned, dejected. Anybody in the house? Married? Yeah? No, it happens in there kind of a lot. Uh, that's a battleground. Ground zero, but um, we, we have this thing where we expect a lot out of people and we expect a lot out of the world. And so if you find yourself always shocked, that may have something to do with it. And yet, so many times, our expectations of God are so small and the things we think he can do and might do and maybe should do, and we just we can get both of those things really backwards. And so we really wanted to take some time to, to kind of hang out in these first few chapters of Ephesians and consider God's words through the Apostle Paul about the big picture of what he's doing. And when you do that, I guarantee you two things will happen. Um, Your expectations of people will go drastically down, but your expectations of God are going to skyrocket. And when your faith towards the God who is begins to engage, there is no end to what you will see God do in your life and through you and around you that you get to be a part of. Your encouragement level will go up. Your joy level will go up. Uh, Your willingness to be generous and to help other people and to be patient and kind and steadfast and forgiving, all those things are going to increase. And I want that. I want that for me and I want that for you. And so last week we looked at God's limitless power. God's limitless power. Obviously, we can only scratch the surface. And so I hope these sermons in this series really just create an appetite in you for more. And so you can just hang out and meditate on these words and phrases in Ephesians, in these first three chapters especially. But this morning, I want us to spend our time together considering limitless forgiveness. Limitless forgiveness. And so we're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. But that is... That is coming back to a theme that the Apostle Paul's already uh, started in, a, a theme, an idea uh, of forgiveness from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. And so I want to read chapter 1 and verse 7 through 10, and then we'll pick up in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, and you'll see what I'm talking about. There's some limitless forgiveness. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 7 with me. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. In him... We have redemption through his blood, which is the forgiveness of our trespasses. And look at this phrase, according to the riches of his grace. We're going to see that again in chapter two and verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. How many of you guys have a planner at home? You got a planner in the house? Lord help you families who have no planner. We invite you to stuff and you're like, probably we'll see, I don't know. We've got to have a planner around. I'm not the planner in our house. I don't know if you figured that out yet. 
Uh, Tiffany's the planner. When people say, hey, we should get together, I say, yeah, we should. You should talk to her because she does that, that stuff. We'll just talk about this endlessly and it'll never happen because you need a planner. Do you know that God is a planner and he has had a plan from the foundation of the world as we know it. And it is a plan to unite in himself all things. Do you know that's what God is busy doing right now? He is busy uniting all things in himself. You see, you turn on the news and they're not reporting on this fact. In fact, everything that we're hearing is telling us that the world is becoming increasingly divided, isn't it? It does not feel like the world is coming together. Not yesterday, but last Saturday, we, we commemorated the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And I was watching these 9-11 documentaries and I was reminded of the unification our nation experienced in the days after 9-11. Do you remember that? Do you remember the perspective that came from recognizing that the person across the aisle from you or the person that votes differently than you or looks differently or believes differently is not your enemy, somebody else is? And because they're coming after us, now we're us again and there was this reunification, there was a spirit of unity that happened because we had a common enemy. That didn't last very long, did it? Because it doesn't take an enemy to unite us. Truly, what it takes is a redeemer. What it takes is a savior. What it takes is a friend. What it takes is someone to do for all of us what all of us really actually need. And this is what the Bible calls the forgiveness of sins. We are, all, we are all people of the 20, 20th and 21st century. We are all, most of us from the West, most of us Americans, and we all have grown up with a version of the gospel and a perspective on forgiveness that is exceedingly limited. And when you saturate yourself in Ephesians chapter one and two and three, you begin to have your mind opened a bit to what God is doing, and it's a lot different than what is being reported on the news. And in fact, it stands in stark contrast to a lot of what's happening in the world as we're experiencing it. And yet God is doing this very thing and you know where he's chosen to do it. We learned about it last week and he gave Christ. What did he say? He put all things in submission under his feet and he gave him as head to who? To the church, to the church, to the church. You wanna know where the unity begins to happen, it's right in here. And so it's now more important than ever that we get forgiveness right. See, we're gonna encounter in these phrases and in chapter two especially, the immeasurable, limitless power of God's forgiveness that is toward us and for the whole world. And it's in that forgiveness, the redemption we have in Jesus is how God is gonna put this world back together. He's unveiling for us his mysterious plan from the foundation of the earth. And it's right here in these verses. If you will meditate upon them, they will begin to transform the way that you see the world. And listen, we need this now more than ever because our enemy, the devil, is getting bold. I'm telling you, the enemy is at work in our world and he loves division and he loves isolation and he loves polarizing people and forcing us into a narrative where we have to pick one of two groups which then makes the other person our enemy. Do you know he's doing this all of the time? And I'm telling you, I believe this. This is not from the Bible. This is not in Ephesians. Nothing about America is in Ephesians, by the way. I don't know if you know that or not. But, but my perspective The enemy hates America. He hates America. He hates, he's been working against America since we've been doing more and more and more of the things that honor God. 
since the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Oh, he hated that. He hated when we started treating everyone equally and made that the law. He hated that. He hated in 1860s when we were willing to stay together but to fight over the end of slavery and the emancipation of slaves. He hated that. And he hated when, when people, the, the colonials, looked to an imperial system of power that, where they had no representation and they were abused and oppressed. And they said, no, that is not right. Every human being made in the image of God has rights and those rights ought to be defended and protected. And that's the role of government. So we're out. He hated that. And so there's many things as we've been doing to bring about equality and justice and liberty for all people. We are going to see an attack from the enemy and it will always look the same. And here's the thing. We are ill-equipped to bring that unity that Jesus is working in the world into the public square until we understand forgiveness, until we get it right in here between us and God, until we learn what it looks like and experience it between us and our closest relationships, until we can be a people who do not stand divided, but united. Now, if you've been around church any length of time, you know that churches are not known for sticking together. Can I get an amen? How many of you have been through a church split? Raise your hand. Oh, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Now, I do have a theory about this. Uh, I don't think God likes churches to grow big and stay big forever. God gives so many gifts to the church, and too often, big churches just stifle people's gifts because they're not meant to be doing, they're not meant to be at the welcome center. They're meant to be preaching on the stage. They're not meant to be only uh, putting stripes in the parking lot uh, and, and parking cars. They're meant to be uh, leading worship and training leaders and leading small groups. And too many times we get power struggles that happen in churches because we're trying to stay together when God meant for us to multiply. Do you know that? And so sometimes he'll use ugly to multiply. He did it in the, in the dispersion. He's done it through persecution. He's done it in a hundred ways you wouldn't expect, but he's always making more churches and bringing the good news to more people. Do you know that? Sometimes it's nice to have a good view on an ugly story, isn't it? This is what God is doing. And I, what I want us, though, to do is to be people who understand forgiveness. And I think, for at least from my experience, and maybe you'll connect with what I've experienced and how God's unlocked this for me, in the years I've been following Jesus, uh, forgiveness is something that I've gotten wrong in a lot of ways. And we won't be part of God's solution to bring unity to the planet until we have a wholeness between us and God, between, until we learn to apply forgiveness and extend that to our closest relationships, until we learn what the church of Jesus is actually supposed to look like. And so let's start this journey together. And I hope this kicks you off in the right direction. So what is this plan? What is this restoration plan that God is working? Look at Ephesians chapter two and verse one. Uh, I love to consider what God started with, by the way. Look at what he started with. When he looked at the, the humans that were available for his restoration project, here's what he saw. And you were dead. He started with spiritual corpses. This is how God gets all the glory. There was nobody moving. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. What needs forgiven? Trespasses. We saw that in verse seven. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following who? The prince of the power of the air. Everyone locked down in trespasses and sins is just being swept along by the divisive, destructive power of the enemy. It's the spirit of our age. It's what's out there. And if you are not alive to God, then you are going with the flow and the flow is taking you to hell. Do you know that? And so we are reminded that we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived 
in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Can someone say we're all in this together? (laughs) We're all in this together. This is who God started with. But look at verse four. This is the good news right here. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse seven, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. His forgiveness is limitless. And what he plans to put on display for eternity is his limitless power expressed in limitless forgiveness because of his limitless love. And the invitation for us is to become objects of that limitless forgiveness, to become conduits of that limitless forgiveness, to know God's limitless power, to connect and experience his limitless love. And he sums up in verses eight to 10. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. You are dead, recall. It is the gift of God, not the result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. I got construction going on on my street. The gas company is putting in new gas lines. They're tearing up everything. Sidewalks, roadways, my yard, my neighbor's yard. There's yellow pipes hanging out. They're digging every morning at seven o'clock, unloading stuff and there's men at work signs everywhere. It's a disaster. But I sure am glad that we're gonna have safe gas lines (laughs) because those old galvanized, rusted out gas lines make me nervous. And so I'm happy that they're at work. Listen, let me tell you something about your life. Let me tell you something about your marriage, about your family, about the church that you're in and the church you used to go to. God's at work. Do you know it? He's tearing up some things. He's digging up some things. He's cutting out some things. He's making some noise. There's some dust. There's some closed sidewalks, but he's doing something. We are his workmanship. Mm. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is where our part comes in because God's doing something not just for us, but God is doing something through us. And so we've got to learn what part of the solution we play. Amen? So that's how a pastor reads the Bible. Lord God, thank you for your word. It's been read in our hearing. Lord, your word is what has power to transform our minds and our hearts and our world. Lord, have your way in us this morning, we pray, God. Teach us what forgiveness is, how to receive it, how to extend it how to be a part of what you are doing to unite all things in Christ. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So my mom, uh, she was really serious about peace in our house. You guys, anybody raised by a peacemaker? Yeah, I got my mom as a peacemaker. I know some of you are like, not my mom. Oh, Lordy. I saw that look on your face. You need therapy. You still need therapy. You're not over that. Well, my mom's a peacemaker and she liked to have peace. And so uh, there were seven of us kids. I had two brothers and four sisters. So there was a little bit of drama happening in the house growing up. 
And so, uh, you know, the girls always have these kind of like crying catty fights, who took whose shirt and wore what thing, and that's mine, no it isn't, and you know how girls fight. And then when boys fight, it, we don't know how it started or what we were fighting over, we just know when something broke and someone bled. Like, that's how boy fights go. I don't know if you had brothers or not, but she would do this thing where she would interrupt our fighting and she would, she would force us back together. She wouldn't just like explain to us what we had done wrong or chastise us separately or discipline us separately. She would make us face each other and hold hands and look at each other in the eye and say, Casey, you are my brother and I love you and I'm sorry that I threw you through the closet door. Please forgive me. She would do this over and over, and then he would have to say his thing back to me. And so this is what my mom did. Now, I thought that was like cruel and unusual punishment. But I saw later, there was no Pinterest when I was growing up, but I saw Tiffany show me on Pinterest. There's some parents out there that put their kids in one shirt. There's an idea for you. Get one of dad's shirts out, make them face each other, and sleeve up just right here, just right here, just bring them back together. There's a beautiful part of forgiveness uh, that we miss out on because we don't understand that, uh, that forgiveness is God's way of bringing things back together, of uniting. But it's not in our nature. You know, Casey and I called him yesterday. Him and I, him and I have a great relationship. We went through this rocky period in, in, our, in our life, in our relationship, where we didn't talk very much. And when we did, it wasn't, we were not close, and we obviously had some baggage. And about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, I don't know if he called me or I called him, but we both kind of at the same time were like, can I talk to you about something? You ever have one of those conversations? And, um, and he apologized to me for some things that he had done, not the closet thing. Well, you didn't care about that. Um, and, and communicated to me some of the ways that I made him feel. And then I actually did the same thing to him. So he, for whatever reason, always felt like he was living in my shadow and could never measure up and was resentful to me for being the good son. That's what it was like for, for him. Now, I wouldn't have known that because he was like the popular one that everyone wanted to hang out with and I was Casey's brother. I remember when we first started using credit cards at the drive-thru, we had a Hardee's in New Smyrna Beach. It was the only fast food on the beach side. We didn't pay for a lot of food there because we knew who worked there. But I remember one time driving through the, the uh, some of you knew who worked there too, uh, <laughs> s- s- driving through the drive-thru and paying with a credit card and, and the girl was like, Jesse Jarvis? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, are you Casey's brother? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not. One of the things that, that really hurt me and I have like abandonment issues. So like my brother and I, we shared a room for our whole lives. But when he was 15 years old, he ran away from home. He tried to run away from home on cr- the day before Christmas Eve. He has a big blow up. And it was a good reason. So we had, we had this, it was one of these little closed in carport bedrooms that we slept in and it had a back door. It's not a good idea to give your teenage sons uh, entry and access from the house that does not go through at least somewhere near your bedroom. And so my, my parents discovered that we were using that back door regularly in the middle of the night. And so they decided to move uh, the boys' room and the girls' room to stick us in the room next to theirs with no back door and the windows were high and open. And so, uh, so he, was had it, he was angry about that. And so there was a big fight. And he just decided, he's like, I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. And he got on his bike and he, he started riding away. And I chased him on foot for 10 blocks. I knocked him off of his bike. I left his bike and I carried him home on my shoulder. I threw him down in the yard and I said, not until after Christmas. <laughs> I did. That's what happened. It was very ugly. 
But it was only a few weeks later, he just, he just disappeared, he left. And it actually really hurt me. And, and when you're a, when you're a seven, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, you don't know what's hurting you. You, don't, you, haven't, you haven't learned how to figure out what the problem is. But what I found was that I felt like abandoned by my brother. And so we were able to kind of talk about these things as adults and very easily with some age and understanding go, I'm sorry for making you feel that way. I did not realize that's how you felt towards me or you, I felt towards you. And then now we have a really great adult brother relationship and, and there's a, a, a union that comes back together and it can't be forced. I, I can, I'm sure you can imagine, but when my mom used to make us hold hands, it was not very long before while we were mouthing the words she forced us to say, we were digging our fingernails into the palm of the other brother until it was bleeding. I mean, this is a regular occurrence for us. And so forgiveness is not something that happens naturally, but when it happens, it is something that brings people back together again. And we need to know this because a lot of us have this, this idea about forgiveness that is not God's kind of forgiveness. And if I ask you, is there anybody that you have unforgiveness towards? Some of you would say, no, not at all. I've forgiven everybody. I have no, I have no list. Some of you would say, um, I really struggle to forgive this person, my, my dad, or this person that hurt me, or, or this ex, whoever, like that person, I really have to work hard to. Um, some of you are like, yeah, I got a list right here. And you pull it over and you're like, scratch them off the list. I'm like, what kind of list is that? It's scary, that list. So there's like a variety of people's experience when it comes to forgiveness. But for many, many Christians, because we know we're supposed to forgive, we decide that we're gonna forgive and we try to forgive. But when I, if I was to ask you, tell me, tell me who hurt you. Sometimes our list is a mile long and we can think of everybody and everything. And the only way that we're actually living in what we call forgiveness is because I forgave them and now I never wanna see you ever again. And I, I'm in the Walmart and there you are. And I'm out of the Walmart, so I don't wanna... And so there's this thing that happens where we think we know what forgiveness is. And so I'd love to just take a little bit of time for us as we evaluate how are we supposed to partner with what God is doing in the world to unite all things in Christ through the church. I mean, he's given the the whole world is his footstool. It's in subjection to him. And he's been given as head to the church. And he's doing this thing, this miracle with limitless power out of limitless love. And he's doing it through redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. And we are the messengers of that good news. We are the carriers of, of that antidote for the planet. And so we need to be the people who really understand what forgiveness is and isn't. Here's a definition that Google provided when I typed in forgiveness. A common definition of forgiveness, stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, a flaw, or a mistake. That's the, that's the going, that's the Wikipedia kind of definition of what forgiveness is in our world. There's a technical definition of forgiveness to cancel a debt, as in he proposed that their debts should be forgiven. And so there's like a technical or financial use of the word. And then Forgiveness has also become a colloquialism where we say things like, uh, you'll have to forgive my inquisitive mind. Or maybe you say, pardon my French. I don't know how you say that, but, but we have this idea of it's just this little thing that we say of like, set this aside or don't, don't let this bother you. And so we use the word forgive in these ways and that's just the way that we use them. But none of these things really reflect what forgiveness is when you start to read about it in the Bible. When the scriptures talk about in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, these concepts, while related, do not fill out or explain what forgiveness is. And so what is forgiveness? Well, if you're a note taker or you care about 
holding on to these definitions, consider it for a moment that forgiveness is the removal of separating sin and the restoration of a relationship. The removal of separating sin and the restoration of a relationship. It's both of those things. And the Bible uses this this term redemption. A lot of us, we don't use the word redemption. We use it in worship songs. I don't know where you use redemption. The only other place besides church that I think of the word redeem or redemption is on the back of a coupon. No cash value. Redeemable for only said BOGO. I don't know, like there's no, there's like this turn it in idea. But like the concept of redemption has to do with being enslaved and it has to do with being paid a price to get out. I'm not gonna ask how many, raise your hand if you've ever been to jail. You ever been bailed out of jail? Yeah, no one should raise your hand. (laughs) But the idea of of being bailed out or having someone pay a price to, to set you free is what redemption is. If you ever had any experience in pawn shops, you ever pawned something and you need money and you bring something of value and you get far less money than it's worth and then it disappears from your, and you have a time to pay it back at an exorbitant interest rate. And if you don't, then that thing is then sold for profit. And you have this little period of redemption where you can get that thing back. And our humanity is in fact, as if we have pawned ourselves, we have hawked ourselves for whatever freedom we have to seek power and pleasure in other places. And then we are now enslaved and no one is coming and we cannot pay the price. And God's plan for humanity is that he provided the price to set everyone free, to redeem all people, to put all things back together. And because of the remission of sins, the forgiveness that we have, the sin is then removed as an obstacle, but now two people can come back together. You and God are now good. And guess what? You shouldn't be. You should not be good. But God is not like the world. God is not like other begrudging people. When God forgives, he forgives fully. Do you know that God does not put you on probation? Do you know that? Do you know that the moment you turn to God in humility and repentance and say, would you forgive me? He says, yes, and then treats you as though it's never happened. When he looks at you, he sees the perfection of his son. He counts you as righteous and he does not wait to see if you change. And in fact, he knows that your change happens arduously slowly. This is what forgiveness is. It's the, it's the separating, the removal of separating sin and the restoration of a relationship. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And how is that? According to the riches of his grace. God is not cheap and there is no one God can't save or won't save. Nobody's off limits. There's not a way you can mess it up enough. He has the riches of his grace and the blood of Jesus to bring forgiveness to everyone. Isn't that great news? And that is what forgiveness is, and that is where we start. Forgiveness is also the canceling of a debt incurred through failure or fault. Notice in the common definition, it says that we forgive and we stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense or a flaw or a mistake. Man, we have really cranked up this need for forgiveness thing. How many of you guys are like, I look at your face and I just need to forgive you. You just annoy me, just looking at you. That little thing you do with your ear. I had this one pastor and he used to always dig in his ear while he was preaching. And I was like, yeah, I cannot look at that. But I forgive you. Didn't, did not require forgiveness, brothers and sisters. We have really pushed this thing. We're gonna get to this, but so many of the things that we are struggling to forgive are not things. They are not things. They are not things at all. I got a couple uh, preachers that I like to listen to. And there's this one guy and I listen to him pretty regularly. And I really like him. He's got a great spirit. His accent drives me nuts. And I'm like, if I listen long enough, I will adjust. I have not adjusted. <clears throat> it just gets under my skin. 
But the message is good and the truth is there. Do you understand? But he doesn't need my forgiveness for his accent. There's been no separating sin to be removed. It's just not everybody is exactly like me or like you. Can I get an amen? And so we, we actually have incurred a debt through failure or fault. And God has dealt with that debt. Colossians 2, 13 to 15 says it this way. He, this is similar to Ephesians, same writer. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, so was all your sin. Everything that separates you from God, everything that incurs hurt on other other people, God absolved it, God removed it, it is canceled, it is no more. The scripture writers run out of illustrations to describe. It is far removed as east is from west, heading in the opposite direction, never to be seen again. It is on the bottom of the sea. It even goes so far as to say, God has put our sins behind his back as though God is some kind of dog chasing his tail. The idea is, it's not there anymore. I can't see it. It might as well be gone. And so this is what God does through forgiveness. He cancels the debt. So that's what forgiveness is. And we could fill that out. I could spend weeks on that. But I also want to just point out a couple things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not. My mom was really good about this first one. Forgiveness is not saying it doesn't matter. She would do this thing where we'd have to apologize. Say, you're sorry to your brother. I am sorry Actually, it was, he never said, it's okay. My sisters did. I'm sorry, sister. And she'd say, it's okay. And my mom would say, it's not okay. It's not okay. We don't say it's okay. We say, I forgive you. Why? Because it's not okay. This is one of the things I love about real forgiveness. I love about real forgiveness. It's not saying that what happened is okay. So many people want to force you into some forgiveness that's false. That said, you ever have somebody apologize to you for being insensitive, for you, you're, you're being too sensitive? You ever had that? You ever try to work something out? And they're like, I am really sorry that you are so thin-skinned that you couldn't interpret my comment in any other way. You ever have somebody turn an apology in, on you? You ever experienced that? Not yet. Buckle up, it's coming. <laughs> I've had, I've had, I've had these guys, these people I've known that just can't say they're sorry. You ever had anybody? We had this one guy, we called him the Fonz behind his back because he couldn't say he was sorry. He'd be like, I'm, I'm, it is unfortunate what occurred between us. You know, like, I, like they're trying to get it out. I remember seeing this cartoon uh, in the newspaper and it showed a guy in front of greeting cards and, um, and the lady wa- walks up in the next frame and says, can I help you find something? And then he says, I'm looking for something that hints at remorse without acknowledging fault. <laughs> you know, like, I'm just trying to say, I wish this hadn't happened, but it's not my fault. I didn't do it. And so there's a lot of apology that happens like that, where we're forced into feeling like something's wrong with us and we need to forgive someone, when in fact, they will not even acknowledge that what they did is wrong. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Listen, the thing I love about forgiveness is whether they admit it or not, when you say, I forgive you, you're able to say, that was wrong. And so if you have a feeling of injustice, that's not a bad thing. Forgiveness acknowledges injustice. Forgiveness actually acknowledges sin and the effects of that on a person. It actually says your pain is justifiable. Your anger is normal, but your choice to forgive actually acknowledges that and then allows you to move past it regardless of what the other person thinks. This is so important. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. It doesn't matter. You know what happens when we try to forgive like that? We press it down, we push it away, and it just grows into resentment and bitterness, and we become an angry, broken person because we haven't learned to be able to say, no, that was wrong, but I forgive you. 
Do you see that? This is important. Forgiveness is not saying it doesn't matter. Uh, Secondly, forgiveness is not a one-time experience. I don't know if you've ever been told this. You just got to make a choice to forgive. Anybody? You just got to forgive. Decide to forgive. As if the moment you said, I forgive you, all of your feelings of resentment and anger disappeared. Does that, has it ever happened to any human? It doesn't work like that. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. It starts with a decision. That is true. Somebody say amen. You can't, you won't forgive anybody until you decide to. Your heart will just run wild with anger and animosity and resentment. You have to actually go, you know what? I am going to forgive this person. But that moment of decision is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is what happens from that moment forward where every time that feeling comes up, you deal with it and say, no, I'm not going to treat them that way. No, I'm not going to remember that. I'm, I'm going to choose not to think about that. I'm going to choose not to dwell on that. And Lord, help me, I'm going to choose not to talk about it. You ever try to forgive somebody? And then three months goes by and you're doing fine. And then you see somebody in Target and they're like, hey, I'm really sorry. I heard about what so-and-so did to you. And you're like, oh, you haven't heard the half of it. <laughs> what did you hear? What did they say? Who did you hear it from? And how did this happen? Oh, oh, they like to think that's what happened. You think you're going to be able to forgive that person when you go down that rabbit trail? No, you got to learn to shut your mouth, distract your mind, choose to forgive and stick with that choice until God does his work to heal you and you don't care anymore. But that does not happen in a moment. And it's okay if it doesn't. Everybody take a deep breath. It's going to take a while. Somebody say, it's going to take a while. You can tell your spouse that. I forgive you. Well, come here then. No, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. I'm serious. I'm serious. It's not supposed to happen just like that. And you're going to have to choose. And I know this from being married. Uh, As a man being married to a woman, which is God's design, one of the things that you got to learn to recognize is that uh, sometimes the thing she's upset about is not at all what you just said. So I realize that now. As soon as I see my wife upset, I I tell myself, you have no idea why she's upset. (laughs) The likelihood that it's the thing you think it is is very low. And so you have to do some investigative journalism to uncover the point. And sometimes it's just that something set her off for a thing you did six years ago and she's still trying, right? And I just let her try We don't have to talk about it right now. A little trigger thing will happen. It won't have anything to do with they didn't have broccoli at the grocery store. I was going to make a shrimp with broccoli, but they didn't have broccoli at the grocery store. What happened? What did I say? Right? Has nothing to do with that. But something triggered, and she's trying to forgive. And so just, you got to get, we just got to give each other some slack to keep forgiving. Can I get amen? Amen. All right. Um, Thirdly, forgiveness is not forgetting. You ever have anybody tell you forget it and forgive and forget? Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. You know what Bible verse that is? No, it's not in there. You know who can forgive and forget? Not you, just God. Do you know that? You don't forget. Your brain chemistry is actually wired to remember. When a, when a hurt hits you, your brain literally writes it down on a part of your brain that never forgets anything and usually responds irrationally. That's where it goes. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for designing the human mind to be defensive and self-protective so that we write our hurts in a place we'll never forget. You see, what God did is a miracle because he chose to actually forgive and forget. He says in the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 that he would forgive our iniquities and remember our sins no more. It doesn't mean the information is gone. It means that he chooses never to dwell upon it, never to consider it, never to look at us and put two and two back together. And that's the call that we have. But we have the God of forgiveness in our hearts to empower that. And this is what he's calling us. You don't forget. You don't forget. You choose not to remember. 
Let's be realistic. Can I get an amen? And then lastly, and most importantly, uh, forgiveness is not trusting a person who has wronged you. Uh, it is totally 100% acceptable for you to be in a trust-based relationship with someone who betrays you and for you to forgive them and then not trust them anymore and for a very long time. This is the reason Jesus makes a provision for divorce in the case of adultery, because you can truthfully forgive a human being for, for grossly sinning against you and betraying you, but that does not mean you are, you are safe to then be in a trust-based relationship with that person who has violated that trust. Do you understand? And so forgiveness is a choice that you make, but trust is a response that you have to someone's, to, to your knowledge of a person. And so you can learn to trust somebody again, but it comes from them changing and demonstrating that over a long period of time. Do you understand? And so forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. And so it's very possible for you to forgive a person genuinely from your heart, commit to it, make the decision, carry it out, suppress the feelings, deal with them, ask for God's help, choose not to talk about it, don't bring it up in a relationship, and then still have to go, I guess we'll see if you're serious. And that's the reason some people leave churches. You have a, a, someone in leadership uh, betrays your trust, says something they weren't supposed to, does something that they weren't supposed to. And you go, listen, I forgive you and we're fine. And if I see you in Walmart, I'll give you a hug. I'm not gonna run from you. Um, but I'm not gonna listen to you teach me anymore. Do you understand this? Because the trust is, is gone. And so if you want trust back, you gotta be willing to go the distance. And so I'm saying to all the betraying people in the house, if you've betrayed a person and you've thought of their unwillingness to forgive you and or trust you immediately and you've equated that with forgiveness, you're actually wrong. And so let the forgiveness happen and let it be spirit empowered. But if you wanna keep that relationship intact, you have to give that other person the time they need to watch you be different. And that's where the trust will come from. Trust and, relationship and forgiveness are not the same thing. We need to recognize this because if we're going in with faulty expectations, we're setting ourselves up for a train wreck. So that's what forgiveness is not. Now, it's important that we recognize that there's some things that forgiveness is, but that our world makes all that forgiveness is. So listen to this. If we wanna, if we wanna tap into God's limitless forgiveness, we have to recognize its, its totality. And unfortunately, I listened to like 30 forgiveness sermons over the last three weeks, and most of them were really bad, really, really bad. I'm not giving you names, dates, places, churches, but unfortunately, we live in a world that is so myopic, self-centered, and individualistic that the only sermons people will listen to about forgiveness, or at least the only ones that will become top-rated on Apple iTunes podcasts, are the ones that tell you that you should forgive other people for you. That's it. And in fact, I heard Joyce Meyer talk about this. I love Joyce. She's like straight to the point. I love it. She just cuts right to the chase. She wrote a book called Do Yourself a Favor and Forgive. And the first thing she said in her introduction was, she's like, I named my book, Do Yourself a Favor and Forgive, because if I didn't make it have some self-interest in the title, no one would buy it. But she's like, it's not for you. It's not mostly for you. But we live in this world where forgiveness is packaged up as this thing you need to do for yourself. You need to unlock the prison you've put yourself in, in unforgiveness and go free. Fly, little bird. Like, it's all about how you feel. And that's what forgiveness really is. And forget if they say they're sorry or if anything ever happened or forget what God's doing in the world. As long as you're free from bitterness, that's all that matters. And so enjoy your little forgiveness pill, everybody. It's ridiculous. Now, here's the good news. Forgiveness actually does set you free. It does. They're not wrong. But that's not all that forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not just for me. Forgiveness is for we. Do you know it? 
God is doing something to put the world back together. And if I think that forgiveness is just my way of moving forward for my sake, then I'll leave people in the dust. I'm like, I'm good. And I don't care if I ever see you again. Yes, I forgive you. And also you're dead to me. (laughs) Think about that for a second. But there's so much garbage out there that wants to zoom in on this one part of forgiveness. And then we think we've done it and we've missed it. We're not even close to doing the work that God wants us to do. Do you understand? I'm a little upset about that one. (laughs) And then lastly in this section, forgiveness is not only for me. Forgiveness is not only forensic. And I'm not thinking CSI, I'm thinking judicial. Um, Part of the American uh, Protestant gospel in that it's responding to a works-based Catholic medieval religion is that it focuses in on both the sovereignty of God and salvation, that we have nothing to do with it, but also that the point and the center of all theology is justification where God pronounces us innocent in Christ. Now that is not untrue, but when that becomes the center and filter through which you look at everything, then you can turn forgiveness into this forensic, judicial canceling of a debt and it becomes transactional and not relational. Now this is in the minutia and some of you are like, that went over my head, that's fine. Probably isn't that big of a deal anyway, but it's, it's been hard for me. I have, in the way that I understood the gospel, narrowed down forgiveness to a thing that happens like a transaction and I had no element of relationship in there at all. And it's affected my relationship with God. I'm like, I know we're good, but it's not because God loves me or likes me or wants to be around me. It's that he can't see what a screw up I am anymore because he put some magic Jesus cloak on me that makes me disappear like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings. And now he can't see my sins because of his forgiveness, which is a transaction. It's wiped clean, nailed to the cross, set aside, is no more. The balance sheet's empty, but it's not just transactional. Forgiveness has always been relational. God wants to bring you right close. This is why Jesus portrays the story of the prodigal son and the father running and wrapping his arms around his dirty, stinking, smelling, barefoot son who's been feeding pigs and has ruined everything and made everyone's life miserable, but his son is home. And that's God's forgiving love. It's not just transactional. I think like three of you needed to know that. All right, let me land this plane. Now, the last kind of myth I want to debunk is we are used to hearing that forgiveness is just sometimes too hard. Now, forgiveness is hard. I'm not saying it isn't. You say, I'm going to forgive you. And then again and again and again, there's these little flare-ups in our hearts and they get triggered from memories and they get triggered from conversations. And then the person does it again, which is the worst. And we experience the work of, of forgiveness and it feels really hard. But I'm here to tell you, the reality is, is that forgiveness is not hard. Forgiveness is impossible. Forgiveness is not hard. Forgiveness is impossible because outside of what God can do in us, we do not have the power to forgive other people. We might be able to do a mind trick and go, I have done worse things to other people than this person did to me. And so there's therefore some way that I can access forgiveness for them. But that doesn't mean you have the ability to forgive everybody because somebody will come along that will do you way worse than you've ever done anybody wrong. And, And where will the power come from? Forgiveness feels hard, but it isn't hard. It's impossible. But in Christ, it is essential and it is empowered. See, you are here this morning because God drew you into his presence and he brought you 
joined with Jesus in Christ. Anybody in school right now? You are a student. Your mind is aware of your assignments and the places you're going and the things that you're doing. Some of you are in a relationship right now. You change your status on Facebook to from single to in a relationship, or maybe it's complicated. <laughs> but you're in something. Do you know that through faith in Jesus, you actually come into Christ? And guess what? In Christ, God empowers forgiveness. You are swimming in forgiveness. You are breathing in forgiveness. You are drinking down forgiveness every day. You are walking with the God who forgives. You are literally overwhelmed, washed over. You have an unending supply of forgiveness at your disposal. And this is the trick. I want everybody to get this. If you're going to tweet it, this is what you tweet. Forgiveness does not come from you. It comes through you. Forgiveness does not come from you. You having a hard time forgiving? I can't forgive them. Are you trying to do it yourself? Or do you have access to God's limitless forgiveness? Forgiveness is not hard for you by yourself. It's impossible for you by yourself. And it's essential if the world's going to be put back together. And this is what we've got to understand. This is why Jesus says things like, uh, at the end of the Our Father prayer, you guys know your Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. Can we go now? Right? Never get to the end. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, some of us were raised in a church where this was taught to us like a threat. Did you guys get the threat forgiveness? That's how I learned it. You better forgive because if you don't, God won't forgive you. And if you die when God hasn't forgiven, you know what's going to happen to your soul. Oh my God, I'm sorry, I forgive you. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's referencing the reality that forgiveness comes from God to you and then through you to other people. And when you stop up the flow of forgiveness, you are cutting yourself off from God's supply of forgiveness. Do you understand? This is what I call constipated Christianity. <laughs> it is. Some of you are backed up. You are. You got, you got all this stuff coming in, and you got, you're not letting it go anywhere. You guys are like, you crossed the line right there. No, I haven't. I haven't even crossed the line. I'm not even against my, 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 uh, my daughter, Meredith. She comes up to me like two years ago, and she goes, Dad, have you seen the movie Constipation? And I'm like, what? No. And she's like, it's because it hasn't come out yet. <laughs> she did. She said that. She said that, and now you're going to say that to somebody else today, I guarantee you. You'll probably botch it. You'll probably be, you'll probably mess it up. You'll be like, oh, what was it? Oh, it was so funny, because we can't remember jokes. Our brain doesn't work that way. But listen, so many of us are having this, like, I can't forgive. Listen, you got to let that stuff flow through you. You got to let, you got to get it out. You were made to forgive. And in fact, sometimes it's our unwillingness to forgive other people that is locking us up in a, in a less than experience that God wants to break you out of. You were made for this. That's what Paul is saying. God is going to put on display in ages to come his immeasurable grace towards us in Christ Jesus. And that's got to come to us and then flow through us. And listen, when we become conduits of God's limitless forgiveness, the world will change it will change. The devil is out there right now trying to polarize our world. He wants to make it about black and white. He wants to make it about left and right. He wants to make it about liberal and conservative. He wants to make it about, you pick the polls and we are out there having conversations and buying into this underlying presumption that we have to be one or the other. 
And then if we are, if we, if we identify with one group, now we are positioned with animosity towards a whole other group of people. That's not God's story. Do you know it? It's not. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. We, we say the devil's in the details. The devil's in the division. He is. The devil's in the division. But we have access to a God that forgives everything. There's nothing that our God can't forgive because of the power of the cross, because of who Jesus is and what he has done. That is what we are joined into. That is the source of limitless forgiveness. I have like three closings and I don't know which one to use and I have two minutes. <laughs> you can just stay for second service. I'll use a different one. I don't know. Uh, you know, in uh, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about if someone sins against you, go to your brother. If he doesn't hear you, bring somebody, go to your brother. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he doesn't listen to you, take it to the church. And there's a lot of churches that have this like church discipline process where they, have, they like uh, go after people who are outside of the fold and, and they bring them through this whole thing. It turns into a whole thing. This is really actually about forgiveness and restoration. It's really about forgiveness and bringing people back together. That's what forgiveness is. And so we've been learning about that. And at the end of that, um, Peter is a show off. And he says, uh, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive? As many as seven times. And this is him going, watch me, Lord. Because the going rate was three. Three strikes and you're out. That's what it was. And so if you sin against me, we might say, uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Or we could botch it like George W., right? I won't be fooled again. Three times. And that was supposed to be gracious. And here Peter is listening to Jesus and saying, I'll forgive seven times. And then, you know, Jesus says to him, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. You guys ever hear a sermon from that passage of scripture? And you probably heard somebody say, that's 490 times, or that's seven and seven, 77 times. And Jesus is using hyperbole to say, there should be no end to our willingness to forgive. Anybody ever heard that? Raise your hand. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is referencing Daniel chapter nine. Do you know what happens in Daniel chapter nine? Daniel has perceived from Jeremiah's prophecy that there's going to be 70 years between the exile, the Babylonian exile, and a return to Jerusalem, the establishment of the temple. 70 years. And so he begins to intercede on behalf of the people of God who have been stiff-necked and stubborn-hearted and have turned to idolatry and are now experiencing God's judgment. He's confessing his own sin and the sin of his people, and he's pleading with God to forgive. And so Daniel 9 is all about the forgiveness of God's people and their restoration. Forgiveness and restoration. Removal of the sin that separates and then a restoration of relationship. And that's what Daniel's interceding. And then the archangel Gabriel appears with a message from God. As soon as you started to pray for forgiveness, I was sent to bring you this message. And you know what his message was? It's not gonna be 70 years. It's not going to be seven weeks. It was the, the seven sevens. It's actually going to be 70 times seven, he says. He says seven times seven. It's going to be 490 years. And there's going to be an atonement for sin made at the 62nd week. And then there's going to be final judgment that's going to happen at the 70th week. And he spells out in Daniel chapter nine, the birth of Jesus, his death on the cross, and the destruction of the temple in AD 70. He says, you know where forgiveness is gonna come from? You are not a source of forgiveness, but Jesus is. You can't repent well enough. You can't 
change fast enough. You don't have the goods inside of you. Forgiveness is not hard. It's impossible. But in Christ, it's essential and it's empowered. And you got to let that forgiveness flow. We have a source for forgiveness, brothers and sisters, and his name is Jesus. And his forgiveness is limitless. He can forgive anything. And if he can forgive anything, and if he can forgive you, not just for what you've done, for how you feel, for what you will do, for what you might do, then there's nothing that you are not empowered to forgive. And we have to access this so that we can put the world back together again. Our world is more divided than I have ever seen it in my lifetime. But this is not new. The church that Paul is writing to, these churches in Ephesus, they were made up of Jews and Gentiles. Jews in the first century, they believed that the only reason there were non-Jews on the planet was so that there would be firewood for that burning fires of hell. That's what they believed the Gentiles were for. That God has a people he's going to save, and he's got people that he's going to destroy in eternity through fire. And now these people are coming to church together. The Gentiles looked at the Jews and they thought, you guys are so odd, so strange. What an, what an enigma you are. So, so weird with your beards and your clothes and your tassels and your dancing and your feasts. Weirdos. And now they're worshiping together. See, God has demonstrated his power in the church because there's nothing he can't restore. There's no relationships that are too far outside of his ability to restore. And he does that through the power of forgiveness. Now you, you, I'm commissioning you on a journey. This is not everything you need to know about forgiveness. You do not have all the tools you need to forgive, but I want to create in you an expectation that God is capable of doing in your heart and in your relationships and in our whole world, more peacemaking and more restoration than you've ever considered possible. And you have 100% access to that forgiveness as you come to God in faith and his son, Jesus. Amen. God, I thank you so much for the work that you've done in my own heart. Lord, that you have forgiven me. Lord, only you and I know what you've forgiven me of completely. But I know that your forgiveness towards me is limitless. God, I pray that you would open my mind and my expectations to be a person that is a conduit for limitless forgiveness to the world. God, I pray that I would live my life to see people, even my enemies, as objects of your love and recipients of your forgiveness and ready to experience your power. God, I pray that you, Lord Jesus, that you would do a work in your church and in this world that is not only bringing a canceling of debts, but a restoration of relationship. God, we look to you as the source and we receive every good thing from your hand. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, listen, if you didn't know this about God at all and God hasn't forgiven you, our prayer uh, altar ministers would love to pray with you to let you ask God to forgive you today and make this today the first day of your journey of experiencing God's limitless forgiveness for yourself. And for anybody else, if you're here and you're going, man, I got to forgive somebody now and I don't know how, let's start by asking God for help. Can I get an amen? Don't leave the house until you've asked for help. For everybody else, God bless you. Go eat lunch somewhere. Get your kids. Be an awesome human and we'll see you next Sunday. Amen.